0: you have your Bibles, if you'll open up the book of Acts chapter 19, that's where we're going to be today, Acts chapter 19. We're doing a series called Destinations, places in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, where we see God and man interacting, where we get application for our lives, places that we need to go to encounter some of the truths of God. And today, our destination will be Ephesus. And I got to tell you, Super excited for this sermon. I really am. I, I just I love the passage of scripture we're in today. Looking at Ephesus. Have you heard about dark tourism? Have you heard about dark tourism? Maybe own, uh, you know, maybe you've uh, gone on Netflix and you've looked up. There's a series on dark tourism on Netflix, or you've seen it talked about somewhere else. Dark tourism. This idea that a person would take a vacation to go and travel to a place that's dark or macabre or supernatural or twisted or has a history of magic or the occult. It's not for me. I'm not saying it's for me, but I'm saying people do it. People travel around the globe to find these locations that are dark and sinister and supernatural. And so for for me, maybe I would want to take a trip somewhere nice in the United States, but these kind of people who do this dark tourism would maybe perhaps go to Salem in a state that I will not pronounce today. Salem. And they'll go to Salem because that's a place where they can learn about witchcraft and learn about the history of, of dark uh, darkness in, a, in the history of the United States. Or perhaps as they were going to Mexico, they would go to visit on the Day of the Dead. And they would go to, um, to, to an alleyway where Santa Muerte, the, the saint of death, is there. And they would learn about that culture and that dark, the paganism that's connected to the Day of the Dead. Or if they were going to England, they wouldn't go to London, they would go to Stonehenge. So they could kind of learn about the practices there at Stonehenge and and talk about, you know, connections with aliens or connections with magic. And if they wanted to travel into Europe, they would go to Braun Castle in Romania, where the story of Dracula was kind of originated dark tourism. I'm just going to tell you, I would probably never do that, okay? This is kind of more my thing here, okay? But there are people in this world, crazy, twisted people. You may be one of them. I'm not judging you, but uh, a little bit I am. But, But there are people who do that. So it might come to you as a surprise today when I tell you that if i were to say ephesus that would be kind of similar that ephesus would be a dark tourism destination did you know that like in ancient times in ancient times in asia minor ephesus would be considered a dark tourism destination And and it's funny to me when I say that, because I imagine you, like me, were probably going, no, (laughs) no. And what comes to our minds are maybe these things that we read about in the Bible, which are are like, this is the congregation, I think about the congregation that Paul said um, was made in God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I think about that when I think about Ephesus. Or I think about Paul's missionary journeys when I think about Ephesus, or I think about the school of Tyrannus that is a model for Bible institutions similar to the one that's here where Paul stayed for two years and worked in the afternoons teaching students. Um, or, or perhaps I think of Aquila and Priscilla converting Apollos to a more excellent way of the gospel. Or I think about Paul's letters that he wrote, many of which were written, First and 2 Corinthians, Others that were written in Ephesus. So when I think of Ephesus, I don't think about, I don't think about dark or sinister. But the thing is, I, I didn't live back then. And when people who lived back then thought about Ephesus, they may very well, in fact, many of them would have thought of Ephesus as quite a charming little place. Ephesus, a dark place a place of witchcraft and astrology and the occult and paganism. So when I say charming, I mean like charms and curses and black magic and evil. That was Ephesus. In fact, there's a quote about Ephesus, kind of a, a, a famous quote, a historical quote that says this about Ephesus. It says this, Who was there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? That was a quote by the city clerk of Ephesus. It just so happens to be recorded in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19 verse 35, that's a quote about the city. Is there anybody in the world who doesn't know about the temple here and about the stone that fell down from heaven? Now, I want to tell you very quickly, it's, it's fascinating. If you were to look at a, at a coin from Ephesus, you can Google it. Don't Google it now. I know we all want to, but just wait. But if you were to look at a coin, and this is a recreation of an Ephesian coin, you can see the temple on the coin. And then in the background or in the, in the back of the coin, you can see the sacred stone which is right there in the middle. It's funny because uh, the sacred stone, there's there's a bit of debate about it. Some people think it's a meteorite that came down from heaven, but actually scholars believe that's just what they called the statue of Artemis. And this is a picture of the statue of Artemis here that people believed it was given by God the same way that maybe there's relics around this world. I think about places like Mexico City and other places around the world where they believe that a relic was given by God. People believe that this relic was given by God and it was placed in the temple. And you got to know this, that that temple to Artemis was one of the ten wonders of the ancient world. In fact, there's recorded history of people coming in and saying, I have been to the hanging uh, gardens of Babylon and I have gone and I've seen the pyramids and this is the most beautiful thing I have seen, which is the temple of Artemis. And people just believed that it was just this sacred place where Artemis dwelt. But here's what you need to know about her. She was the goddess of witchcraft and astrology. And because of that, those who worshiped there were were part of this pagan group that would offer animal sacrifices. Like if you wanted to... um, if you wanted to, to have love or find love, you could offer an animal sacrifice and you could be blessed with that. Or you could curse someone if you want to curse someone. But it was more than that. Ephesus became this town where you could you, know, you could walk in and you could get crystals if you want to buy crystals for, for worship. Or if you wanted to, to buy a, a deity, uh, some kind of an idol, you could buy that. And we read about that in Acts chapter 19 at the end of the chapter how the Christianity kind of shook up the idol industry. But that was going on. People were buying idols there. And, 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 and any kind of supply you might need for divination or pagan ritual, you could get that in, in Ephesus. Oh, and one other thing you could get there, you could get some magic. You could get a magic scroll. In fact, history tells us, scholars tell us, that anywhere in Asia Minor or in Europe at that time, if you went And you wanted a magic scroll, you know what you would call it? If you wanted a magic book, you know what you'd call it? An Ephesian letter. That was what it was called. So people would go and they would purchase these Ephesian letters. Wherever you went, you'd just go buy an Ephesian letter. That's a magic book. And that's what they called it. That's what everybody called it back then. That was Ephesus. That's not what I think of when I think of Ephesus, but that was Ephesus. Ephesus was this pagan place, was this dark place. I mean, I don't think about like going to, to Salem. I don't think about like getting connected to like voodoo or anything like that, but that was Ephesus. And it's no wonder Paul had to show up there. I mean, of course, right? Right? That's Paul. Where's Paul going to go? If Paul's going to go somewhere, where's he going to go? He's going to go to the darkest place there is, right? And so Paul goes to Ephesus. Not only does Paul go to Ephesus, he spends two years there. How courageous. And so Paul goes. And in that time, there's a story that we read about in Acts chapter 19. And I want to share the story with you because it's just such a magical story. And I say magical, it's a special story. In Acts chapter 19, if you'll turn with me, in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, here's how it goes God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I want you to notice this phrase because it's not Paul was doing amazing things. Look at what it says God was doing extraordinary miracles. God was doing it. It wasn't Paul. I want to be really clear about this. God in Ephesus was doing extraordinary miracles. That's what the scripture says. And I think that's important because we got to realize that in this really dark place with all these really dark powers, God was something pretty special. God could do amazing and extraordinary things in such a dark place. Place where so many had had turned their eyes away from Him, that God was doing extraordinary things. And one of the things God was doing was that when someone came and you know gave Paul a handkerchief or an apron or whatever, and he kind of wept the you know took the sweat off of his face, the sweat that they could they could take that and they could put it on someone who was ill or demon possessed, and they would be healed. In fact, the word there for like handkerchief or whatever it's in your Bible, whatever word you have in your Bible, the word there literally in the Greek is sweatband. It's funny. It's a sweatband. And so people were taking his sweatband, like Paul is working and it's sweaty, you know, he's sweaty. They take it off. They weren't even, they they weren't only just taking the band and just taking it and touching things and healing people. That's how powerful God was, Jehovah God was, in this city. That just the sweat of a man of God would result in people being healed. But there's other people there, too. And they want to try it as well. They want to try to heal in the name of Jesus. And the scripture tells us, starting in verse 13... Then some of the uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by, the Je- by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest named Sceva, were doing this. Okay, what's happening here is that while, while believers are seeing the power of God, there's another group of individuals saying, we can do that too. We can cast out demons too. And so this is a traveling band going from city to city casting out demons. And this traveling band comes. Now, you need to know this. It's, fa- it's fascinating. There in, in Jewish history, and there are pretty good records here, there is no documentation of a Jewish high priest named Sceva at all. None. So what we have here is this, we have individuals claiming to be Jewish, claiming to be the son of a high priest, and now claiming Christianity. They're saying, we're Jewish, and we're the son of a high priest, and now we're going to follow Paul's message of of God. I I think here's what's, what's happening is, these individuals, obviously, what they do doesn't work. The way they have tried to cast out demons has not worked. And so they're kind of jumping from thing to thing to thing. And because the last one didn't work, now they're going with, we'll try this Jesus thing. And so they come in and try to cast out demons just the exact same way Paul is doing. Paul's doing it with his sweat because God is, God is in the presence of, of these Christians. But these guys who are not believers are just testing it out. We'll just test it out. And So here's what Scripture says. Verse 15, But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then the men in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Okay, this is called an epic fail. That's what this is called. And they say, hey, we're gonna, let's use that name Jesus just like these guys are using. Let's use the name Jesus. And the demons respond and say, who are you? We know you're not associated with God. And so they beat him up. Now, you gotta know this. In a city of magic and power, when you have these forces that are so incredibly fierce, And all it takes is drops of sweat to cast out demons. In the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to get a reaction. And the community, the people react. And look what it says in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and a fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. What happens as a result of this? People start believing in Jesus. They start believing in Jesus. Verse 18, also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So here, here God is, God is so powerful that what, what's happening? The people respond in a very aggressive way. And they say, you know what? We got magic books. Let's take the magic books. Let's burn the magic books. And so they start burning magic books. And as they burn the magic books, somebody calculates the cost. And it comes to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, here's what you need to know. A piece of silver back there was was a day's wage. Back then, a piece of silver was a day's wage. So if you convert that to our terminology that's $11 million worth of books. $11 million worth of scrolls are being burnt that day. Now, why are they burning them? This is a good question. Why are they burning them? Because they realize they're powerless, just like the seven sons of Sceva did. Like, these books are nothing compared to this God. And I look at it, and I'm like, that's amazing. I mean, that's an amazing story. But here's the thing. The thing I miss when I read this every single time, it's this one little word in the text that's just glaring at me, but I miss it. And here's the word, believers, believers. It was the believers who brought their magic books to burn them, in other words, It was the Christians who took the magic books from their houses and burnt them that day. That's strange. (laughs) I got to tell you, when I think about that, I think that makes no sense at all. The believers were burning their magic books? You know, some things don't go together well. Christianity and paganism, Christianity and the occult, Christianity and witchcraft, that's not a good fit. But in Ephesus, Christianity and witchcraft were hand in hand. Christians who had been converted to Christ still held on to their witchcraft And when they saw God come in power, when they saw what God could do, and what this power that they had held on to was incapable of doing, you know what they did? They repented and burned their magic books. You see, that's Christians in Ephesus. Christians in Ephesus, Christians in Ephesus could be hypocritical. Christians in Ephesus could be two-faced. Christians in Ephesus could justify, they could justify holding on to Jesus and holding on to paganism at the exact same time. But then they saw the truth and God came in power and they had to respond. And so you know what they did? When the light of Jesus came into their lives, you know what they did? They lit up their magic books. What an interesting story. Can I tell you something? We're, you know, we're doing this series on destinations. And as I think about these destinations, it's got me trying to wrap my head around what the purpose of this is. And we, we've been talking about this and we've been saying... You know, when you talk about the destination, you're not literally going there. When we say Caesarea Philippi, we don't want you to literally go to Caesarea Philippi. We just want you to have the heart and the spiritual response of one going to Caesarea Philippi. And so what we said was, hey, Damascus, this was Princeton when he went, took us to Damascus. We said, you know what Damascus is? That's that place where you encounter God and you make a change. And we talked about Mount Horeb, that's what Bill's was, and Mount Horeb was that place of renewal and you keep coming back, you got to keep coming back to God and keep meeting him on the mountain. And then Monty came and he talked about Caesarea Philippi, and that was the place of the great confession, when I've got to make this confession. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what's Ephesus? What's Ephesus? And then it dawned on me what Ephesus was. Ephesus is that place of darkness where all sorts of things are hidden from the light. That's what Ephesus is. If I'm going to take the journey to Ephesus, I got to go to that place of darkness where things are hidden from the light, where things are scary and where things are dark. I got to go to places I don't want to go. And I'm not talking physically I'm talking spiritually and emotionally. Ephesus is taking the dark journey into that place hidden from the light. I don't know where that is for you. I don't know where your place of darkness is. I don't know if it's a place you have in your heart or if it's a place you have in your mind or if it's a physical location that you know you don't go to, but I'm going to tell you Going to Ephesus means you take the journey there at least on some level, a dark place. You go to the dark place. But you don't go there just to visit or to hang out. You go there because God's not showing up in that area because you have not let him into that area. So you make that journey into that dark place. Entering Ephesus, it's a dark place that takes real courage. If we're going to take this journey to this dark place, it is going to require real courage from us. It takes real courage to go to the place where sin is the place of my sin where my sin is there and it's been it's just been there and I haven't gotten it figured out or dealt with it takes courage to go to that place it takes courage to go to the place where my emotions are raw where my anger dwells or where my sadness dwells or where my fear dwells it takes courage to go to that place It takes courage to go to the place of my pain and my woundedness, where people have hurt me and where I've hurt others, to those stories from the past, those stories that I do not want to revisit and I do not want to think about, the ways that I have interacted with people in unhealthy ways and the ways others have interacted with me in unhealthy ways and the places that make me sad inside and make me angry inside. Ephesus is that dark place of conflict where relationships are broken and they haven't been reconciled, where there's a lack of forgiveness and there's a lack of peace. Ephesus is that place of selfishness where I find myself being so incredibly selfish all the time because of my desires that well up inside of me and I get what I want when I want it. Ephesus is a place of failure where I think about the ways that I have failed others and hurt others. It is that place of negativity where when I think about it, it makes me angry and it makes me negative and it causes me to have a bad day. And Ephesus is that place of doubt where I question everything. I question my value, and I question my worth, and I question my God, and I question my relationships, and I question my faith, and I question my church. Guys, that's Ephesus. And it takes real courage to go there. But here's the thing. If godly people don't go to Ephesus, they can't drag hidden things into the light if godly people don't go to Ephesus they can't drag hidden things into the light they can't go like the church was forced to go and grab their magic scrolls and light them up they can't go and grab their sin and light it up with God they can't go and grab their insecurities and light it up with God you see, that's why you got to go. Because you got to drag that junk into the light. Into the light of God's grace and his love. The light of God is necessary to illuminate the hidden things of Ephesus. The light of God is necessary. Think about how powerful God is. Think about what God can do when we allow him into parts of our lives that we don't want to let him in. He is necessary. Do you realize that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all? His radiance is like the sunlight. His brightness shines forth. The people who have been living in darkness have seen a great light. The light of the world. A lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And darkness cannot overcome it. That's Jesus Christ. That is your God. So for this to happen, only one thing is necessary. And that is willingness. Are you the willing? Are you willing to go to the dark place of Ephesus? Are you willing? The willing should courageously travel to the place of darkness where things are hidden in their lives. Courageously. Courageously go. And the willing should have the courage to start dragging things into the light. Do you have the courage? Can I tell you something interesting about Ephesus to me? When I think about Ephesus, I never think about the occult. I never think about darkness, I never think about witchcraft, I never think about all these different things. You know what I think about when I think about Ephesus? That list from earlier? I think about a church called God's Workmanship, I think about Paul's missionary journeys, the school of Tyrannus. I think about Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. I think about Paul's letters. I'm just wondering, is it possible God's trying to show me something in that? That God could take such a dark place and God could turn it into something so amazing. You see, when God enters a dark place, he can really lighten it up. He can really lighten it up. As as God is allowed, I mean, look, look, we know God is already there, but as we open up to Him to do these things, He can really lighten up some of these dark places in our lives. So, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And that invitation is designed so that if anybody wants to come forward to connect to the church for prayers, they can come forward. But at this moment, I want to take just a moment and say a prayer about this. And I want to encourage you before the invitation that you would at least come forward in your heart and lift up this prayer before God. And here's the prayer. The prayer today is this, to see the dark place. Number one, see the dark place. Number two, have courage to step in and finally be willing to drag anything I see into God's light. There are some people here who just can't see the dark place. You they, 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 they can't wrap their head around it. Okay, We want to see the dark places of our lives. We want to have the courage. Maybe you do see it, but you don't have the courage to go there. To have the courage to go there and bring it out to God. We're not saying publicly. What we are saying is for you to have the courage to say to God, this place belongs to you. Take it. That's our prayer, and that's what we're going to pray right now. I want to ask you as I say this prayer to have a heart of willingness to go before your Father. Let's pray. Father God, today we lift up these dark places, these places like Ephesus in our lives. We ask, we ask God today that as we go there, that you would, Father, bring us to that dark place and help us have the courage to step in. Help us to be willing to drag anything we see into your light. Father, we love you. We need your guidance in our lives and we need your direction. We need you to light up these dark places for us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you need anything from this body, we are here to serve you today. Why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing together.